Welcome to Screen Facts with Jason Davis. Listen to the podcast every Wednesday for a discussion and trivia about a different film. Here's your host, Jason Davis. And episode 33 this is. (laughs) That's right. It is time for the final chapter of the Jedi Palooza. And there's no better way to end three weeks of Star Wars podcast than with, of course, Return of the Jedi. And joining me for this episode, once again, my lovely and beautiful and talented wife, Sue. <gasps> Thanks, Annie. And my handsome and brilliant stepson, Tommy. Hi. <laughs> episode six, Return of the Family. <laughs> <laughs> episode six, Return of the Family and Compliments. <laughs> I like this job. Yeah. So Return of the Jedi, of course, same cast, Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, released May 25th, 1983. And we're doing this podcast one week before the release of the new Star Wars movie, The Force Awakens. Force Awakens! <gasps> Can you guys stand it? Pulls me back! <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm still really trying to avoid a lot of the trailers and things like that because I want to be surprised, but you know, nowadays with social media and everything else, it's kind of impossible, but I'm very excited for the new movie, for I haven't, sure. I haven't seen the new teaser oh. that came out. Okay. Really? Interesting. Trying to, you know, keep my distance. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, not casual. Easy. It's not easy. Return of the Jedi, by the way, directed by Richard Marquand. Steven Spielberg was George Lucas's first choice to direct, and even though Spielberg would have loved to direct the Star Wars film, he was forced to decline because he's a member of the Directors Guild. Lucas had dropped his Guild membership over disagreements about The Empire Strikes Back. As a result, Lucas hired the, at the time, non-union director Richard Marquand. Lucas's birthday is early May, and all the Star Wars episodes came out after his birthday in May. They were always big summer films, these movies, for sure. Yeah. So the story was written by George Lucas, screenplay written by George Lucas and Lawrence Kasdan again, who did uh, Empire Strikes Back and the new movie. Production dates, June 12th, 1981 to January 27th, 1983. Filming dates, January 11th, 1982 to May 20th, 1982. Budget of $32.5 million, domestic gross $309.3 million, worldwide gross $475.1 million. Wow. The highest grossing film of 1983. Good job, Lucas. Wow. Yeah. And not, the, not, not surprising. What are the chances that uh, Star Wars 7 will be the highest grossing film ever? I think the chances are pretty good. It's already up in the millions with pre-sales. Yeah, the, Whoa, the pre-ticket wow. sales, I think it's actually set a record for the most tickets sold ahead of time. Good so. job, J.J. Abrams. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tommy, let me go to you first again. Um, do you remember the first time you saw Return of the Jedi? Probably about four hours after I saw A New Hope. Oh, really? <laughs> Probably, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you watched them in order, huh? Most likely. See, that's interesting, because when I did the podcast last week with Gabe, and he was talking about how Empire Strikes Back pissed him off. He was, you know, it sucked because you have this cliffhanger ending and you're like, what the hell just happened? Now, of course, you can watch all the movies right after another and, and it's not really a cliffhanger anymore. Okay. So you benefited from that. Thanks. <laughs> so Thanks, DVDs. Now, Good job, DVDs. <laughs> now, which of the three movies is your favorite? I'm going to have to say this movie. Okay. Why? I love the whole thing between, you know, Luke and Leia finding out that they're siblings and Darth Vader turning back to the good, uh, light side of the force, the Empire going down, all the independent contractors. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we introduced you to clerks. Thanks. So I purposely wanted you to hear that conversation between uh, Dante and Randall so you would know. <laughs> and also, yeah. 
Lando Calrissian, he's he's you know he's yeah. pretty cool. We watched the movie again, of course, to prepare for the podcast, and I gotta say again. Damn you, Lucas, for adding shit to these movies. Uh, yeah, the why? Ending with the, what is it? Naboo, Coruscant, Tantooine, and somewhere else, right? I guess he was trying to tie this to the the prequels by showing all the different uh, you know races or whatever right. celebrating the fall of the Empire. Right. And the thing that bothered me the most was when Yoda and Obi Wan and Anakin are there in their spirit forms, mm-hmm. the Force. And then, you know, with the remake one, Hayden Christensen is standing there. Eh, I was never a fan of that. Hayden Christensen actually didn't know what he was being filmed for when uh, when he filmed that part to be put in the uh, special edition of Return of the Jedi, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. What did they tell him? Just stand there? Yeah, just stand there and look happy (laughs) (laughs) and at peace. (laughs) Oh, that's what he was looking. Happy Uh, and at peace. (laughs) I couldn't tell the difference between that and tormented and angry. Yeah, so let's talk about the. Uh, let's go back a minute and talk about when uh, when Luke takes off Vader's helmet. Mm-hmm. That is so amazing. Even still, that kind of gives you chills. Yeah, it's so, it's such a powerful scene. That whole scene when he's battling. And by the way, I'm gonna I'm gonna just address Gabe really quick. In the last podcast for Empire, Gabe thought that he was dropping a spoiler of Luke being a Sith now because he used the dark side to defeat Vader. I'm not buying it. And the reason I'm I'm not is because even if he did use aggression, which he did to defeat Vader in Return of the Jedi, I feel like Darth Vader kind of uh, regaining the light side of the Force and saving Luke from the Emperor cancels out the aggression that he used. You got the old light side, dark side karma thing going on there? What do you, Tom, what do you think? Well, you know, he does he does throw away the lightsaber and he says, I won't do it. He feels pity, I think, for his father, yeah. for Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He kind of mm-hmm. sees him with the hand off. He looks at his own robot hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I was talking with Les, Les Sinclair, mm-hmm. who's done a bunch of these podcasts with me. Hi, Les. Uh, Hi, Les. Hey, Les. He said that the big thing with all these Star Wars movies is that Anakin Skywalker was supposed to bring balance to the Force. And he actually does in this movie when uh, Darth Vader, when he throws the Emperor uh, over the railing and saves Luke, mm-hmm. that's him bringing balance to the Force. So you know, I never thought of that. Yeah. So I got to give less yeah. credit for that because he, you know, he talked about that. Good and job, while we're doing shout outs, <laughs> if I don't say hi to, to the Blazer, who's a huge Star Wars fan too, I'm not going to hear the end of it. So. <laughs> Blazer! Love you, Blazer. And I, I'm looking forward to doing the next podcast with you. Okay, anyway, so <laughs> I'm like all over the place here, and I apologize for that. But there's a lot of really cool stuff and really uh, kind of emotional stuff um, in this movie. Of course, Luke accepting Vader as his father and actually thinking, all right, now now that I know that it's true, because Yoda told me so. And by the way, that scene was purposely put in mm-hmm. this movie. For positive reinforcement. George Lucas actually spoke with child psychologists, and they said, look, uh, if you want to make sure people don't think that it's just Vader lying, you're going to have to have like a definitive moment in the movie that says, yes, Darth Vader is Luke's father, and that is what Yoda is there for, because you're going to believe Yoda. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. So That's true, yeah, yeah. Now I'm thinking about that, because otherwise it's like Darth Vader saying to Luke, yeah, come on in the van, I got some candy I'll share with you. Oh, yikes. No. <laughs> yeah, that was a little dark. <laughs> And next thing you know, Darth Vader is the guy that's uh, pitching Subway. In, oh, so it's like, all right. All what, right. too soon? Yeah. Too Yikes. soon? Yikes. Eat fresh. Oh. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. <laughs> and then, of course, when he finds out that, that Leia is his sister, which originally wasn't going to be the story. Originally, they were going to have a whole different character that was going to be Luke's long-lost sister. But then George Lucas was like, 
ah, I don't want to deal with another character. Yeah. Just make Leia the sister. Oh, another female in Star Wars? What? What? <laughs> no, I think he, I think he just uh, you know he just felt that that would be an easier way to do it, and and it actually serves it's, the story. Yeah, well, and too. it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Return of the Jedi won a Special Achievement Oscar for visual effects and was also nominated for Best Art Direction, Set Decoration, Best Sound, Best Sound Effects Editing, and for the John Williams score. I think every movie that John Williams does the score for, he's nominated pretty much. he's amazing. He's absolutely amazing. Interesting thing that I found out, John Williams' son Joseph, who's the lead singer of the rock band Toto, collaborated on part of the score. That's very cool. So there's a uh, classic rock connection to Star Wars <laughs> Return of the Jedi. He's the lead singer of Toto. That's incredible. Yeah. That's cool, right? I remember, I think it was when Darth Vader is down and the focus is on Luke. You know, he's not saying anything, but the music in it was just like matching Luke's mood so well. Okay. That I rem- I like actually thought to myself, this is a beautiful score because like you, not not that Mark Hamill isn't, capable of showing you the emotions that Luke is feeling, but you know what I mean? It was really intense because of the music, I thought. If you listen to any movie without the score, it's kind of goofy. You know, like, <laughs> oh, they're just yeah. kind of st- standing around, like, looking at each other, and then the score comes in, and it makes it cool. Didn't we watch the end of A New Hope somewhere, and it didn't have the music in it, and it was positively silly? Yeah, there's a clip on YouTube Actually, uh, it was YouTube. Right, yeah, there's right. a clip on YouTube that shows the the metal scene without the scoring and without the uh, the Wookie sound. And right, it's just, right. It's just uh, Peter Mayhew going ah or something like that. It's really funny. <laughs> yeah, the metal scene. Yeah, when, when, when they, they get, get the, the medals, medals at the end of Star Wars. Oh, that oh that yeah. kind of metal. The medallions, whatever yeah, you want to call it. Yeah, you're thinking metal. Metal. There's so many movies where the scoring as important as anything in the movie itself. <laughs> like, for example, another John Williams score, Jaws. True that. How often is is his scoring in Jaws used to kind of say, hey, the shark's here? <laughs> Danger. When, it, when it's not there. Yeah, right, so. right. Yep. Death Star 2. Death Star 2 is approximately 460% larger than the first one. Wow. It didn't really look that much bigger. Well, it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. When, you, when you're looking at it from outer space, you don't get the proper perspective. Okay. <laughs> you say so? Come on, work with me on this. So Carrie Fisher complained about her costumes in the previous two movies. She said they were so long that you couldn't tell she was a woman. Okay? <laughs> okay. Uh, those complaints right. led to the skimpy outfit that she wore as Jabba's slave. Be careful what you wish for. Yeah. The costume's metal framework that held the top together caused it to not move very well with her. And as a result, she was constantly falling out of it. Oh, man. If you know what I mean. Jeez. There were some wardrobe malfunctions that they had to uh, reshoot. I'm sure that exists somewhere. And you know there's a fanboy that's clamoring for that, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. that footage. Well, they say there's no underwear in space, right? Oh, didn't you yeah. say that? I think, yeah. I think she said that, yeah. yeah. Which, is, uh, which is also kind of silly. Yeah. And speaking of Jabba's palace, during the shot in which Salacious Crumb, which is that little rat thing that sits with Jabba, uh, when he's chewing <laughs> off... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when he's chewing off C-3PO's eye, Anthony Daniels, who plays 3PO, had a panic attack. Oh. While filming, he didn't actually say his lines. Uh, all his lines are dubbed in post-production anyway. He was just repeating, get me up, get me up, over and over again. That's Ooh. probably a weird feeling yeah. to have that kind of, yeah. The salacious crumb, is that the thing that looks like uh, it could be... A relative of a gremlin? Yes. 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 Yeah. Okay, like Gizmo's yeah. great, 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 great grandfather. Right. And it's got that annoying laugh. Yes. And uh, of course, Steven Spielberg is one of the executive producers of Gremlins. So there you go. Oh. <laughs> There's the connection. Small world. Small world. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
And another thing that happened when they were filming in Jabba's palace, mm-hmm. when she was climbing over Jabba the Hutt, uh, one of Carrie Fisher's high heels punctured the latex and stabbed one of the guys who was working Jabba's tail, Ouch. Mike Edmonds. <laughs> Six people it took to, to work the full-size puppet of, uh, of Jabba the Hutt. That thing was huge. Yeah. Jabba took Stuart Freeborn's team three months to build, cost $500,000 to make, and weighed 2,000 pounds. The slithery oh. noises made when Jabba moves were created by Ben Burt running his hands through a cheese casserole. <laughs> Yummy. I'm glad we're doing this podcast after dinner. <laughs> oh, imagine thinking of that next time you have macaroni and cheese. That's just that's Java. Your hands through it, and yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. Java. Yeah, uh, ten puppeteers, nine mime artists, forty-two extras, eighteen principals, supported by a crew of ninety, worked almost a month on the Jabba's palace sequence. What else did you notice about this movie that was different? The special effects look a little cleaner in episode six than okay. episode four. Makes okay. sense. A few years go by. You know, it's maybe five or mm-hmm. six years. After the first movie, so there's probably better technology. So ILM, these guys, I mean, they're kind of like a science lab, probably oh, coming is, up yeah, with new ways to do things. So, all right, we talked about in the, the last episode that the three of us did together mm-hmm. for Star Wars how much we hate Jar Jar Binks. So this movie has sort of a Jar Jar Binks element to it. So they're called Ewoks, the little uh, bear creatures of the Forest Move of Endor. Right, but. I don't know how people figured it out. I guess in the expanded universe, but the word Ewok is never mentioned in the movie. True. Um, probably the way they figured it out was by the toys, is my guess. <laughs> because Maybe. you know that you know that the Ewoks were put in this movie to sell toys. Oh, true, true. Without a doubt. I mean, and they're cute, cuddly little things like Gizmo, going back to uh-huh. Gremlins. <laughs> I mean, they're. I don't know if they're. Do you think they're as annoying as uh, as Jar Jar Binks? No. Okay. No. Because, you know, they kick some ass. Yeah. yeah. That's true. They serve a purpose, unlike yeah, yeah. Jar Jar. He just gets in the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a riot when they think C-3PO is a deity. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all, like, doing that, oh, like a chant yeah. thing. Yeah, they're, like, yeah, worshiping him. <laughs> of course, you have to have that the, the obligatory cute scene where uh, Wicket... Mm-hmm. Gets the little snack from Leia and right. stuff. I love how he smells it before he eats it. Yeah. Of course. By the way, I think another thing they did for the special edition that they added, that they changed, was the Ewoks actually blink in the special edition, where in the original movie they didn't because they, they were Muppets. Well, not Muppets, but like actors in oh, little suits. Oh, wow. Yeah, so they, they put in like blinking eyes digitally. Huh. When we were rewatching it, when we watched it the other day, it was really weird because you could see like the eyes and you could see like around the eyes looked like really weird yeah so mm-hmm. so you could kind of tell that it was an effect you mean well it was like the eyes just looked like bigger or like something it was weird. okay all right i always liked the ewoks just for the fact that they lived so simply yeah and they could still you know fight with the big boys yeah and that was something that i mentioned when we were watching the other night that it had a very uh biblical feel to it mm-hmm. you oh, know, david, david and goliath david and goliath Absolutely. yeah yep. i mean they take out guys by throwing rocks at them yeah don't they take out an atst by like what do they like like, well, they, they, they smash it. They smash oh, the it with two logs, two, yeah. two giant logs, and they right. spring a, like a log stack, and it trips over it. Right. Yeah. Oh, it. right. Yeah. yeah. It's all that like, was that was pretty cool. I thought the two logs smashing either side oh, that, was, that was pretty cool. cool. Yeah. 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 Very resourceful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the speeder bike sequence. <gasps> Love that. The point of view shots for the speeder bike sequence were achieved by having a camera operator walk through the forest at normal speed with a camera filming at one frame per second. When the footage was played back at 24 frames per second, it gave the appearance of flying through the forest at high speeds. So again, before the uh, advent of computer technology to make that kind of stuff happen, that's how they did it. I love shit like that. That is so cool. 
being creative with camera angles and exposure mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and speeds and all that. That's great. Shuffling feet. That yeah, must have taken cool. them forever. Oh, yeah. Yes. They, how, how, what, how far do you think they went on the speeders? It's... And if the guy had to walk... Well, they probably reused footage. I was going to say, they could probably loop it somehow. Okay, yeah. But still, yeah, that's they... a very cool sequence. And it holds, again, holds up very well yeah. for a film that's, you know, over 30 years old. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's amazing, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I remember, you know, the first time I saw that just being blown away by the fact that they could go that fast through all those trees and not hit one. I guess they must be using the force. So we always talk about the connection between Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. They're good buddies. There's actually an E.T. connection to these movies, too. You do see the E.T.'s in the Senate meeting in The Phantom Menace. Yes. So in this movie, what scene was it where you went, is that E.T.? It's Mon Mothma, uh, all the generals, Admiral Akbar. They're on the control ship. That's right. And they're talking to all like the strike teams and all. And they have the hologram. Admiral Akbar's talking. And it cuts, and it's, like, right behind these, like, three or four rebel soldiers. There's, like, a dude in, like, a hood. Kind of looks like E.T., right? Kind of looks like E.T., and I kind of saw it. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. And, I don't know, you you only see him for, like, a second. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. That's that's right after Luke comes back from Dagobah, after Yoda dies, right? Yeah. Well, the actual E.T. reference that I was going to make is Pat Welsh. She provides the voice of the bounty hunter that Princess Leia is disguised as when she goes to rescue um, Han from the Carbonite. She was also the voice of E.T. Oh. Okay. So there you go. I forgot to mention before, there were a couple of other actors that were uh, were being considered to play the Emperor, and, and all of these probably would have been pretty cool. Ben Kingsley, Laurence Olivier, and Sir John Gielgud. Whoa. Who played the butler in Arthur. <laughs> so, I mean, that might be a little bit <laughs> of a stretch. things. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they're all like, you know, pedigree Shakespearean actors. I yeah, mean, I, mean, I ben wonder... Kingsley. I wonder if they Shakespeareian. Oh, <laughs> I wonder if they had played the part. If they would have looked back later, saying, "Oh, please don't remember me for that part." <laughs> Those rubbish lines. <laughs> Sir Alec Guinness just getting worked over in these oh, podcasts. It's awesome. I know. I, I think I think the screenplay for this one was it was pretty decent. Yeah. No. Yeah, I think yeah, they yeah. definitely got it, better it, it again because it had you know it wasn't just George Lucas writing it. Mm-hmm. You know they had people that actually knew how to write dialogue and stuff. So. No, I mean, listen, no, George true. Lucas, I think, has actually admitted that he's not the best writer of dialogue. Yeah, no. He didn't care. I mean, he figured, I'm going to blow up a bunch of shit, and that's all people are going to really go. talk about anyway. He's going to talk about how big that starship <laughs> is. That's right. So um, when Leia strangled Jabba, that was actually an homage to uh, another famous scene in a movie when uh, Luca Brasi in The Godfather gets choked. Oh. And as it turns out, George Lucas, who's a good friend of Francis Ford Coppola, was an assistant editor on The Godfather. Oh, funny. Yeah. One other quick fact that I found that I thought was kind of cool was Storage Wars, which, of course, is a really popular show. Yeah. One of the guys found uh, a Star Wars jacket in one of the lockers with the original title Revenge of the Jedi printed on it. Whoa. The jacket was appraised to be worth over $3,000. I believe it. There's probably very little out there that says Revenge on it. Yeah. That didn't last long, so. Yeah. The story behind that is the original title was Revenge of the Jedi, later changed to Return of the Jedi, because the Jedi does not seek revenge. Exactly. Makes sense to me. Makes perfect sense. Well, it'll be interesting to see where they take the story now with this new series of films, starting Mm -hmm. with The Force Awakens Mm -hmm. next week. I can't believe it. Next week! So there's one other thing we were talking about the other day that, that you mentioned, Tommy, and, and it pertains to Indiana Jones. Go ahead. In the end of episode five and beginning of episode six, Han Solo is frozen in carbonite, which means he would be asleep. Right. So when people are asleep, they have dreams. And there's a theory that Indiana Jones is a dream that's had by Han Solo for when he's frozen in carbonite. 
That would be very, that very, very, cool. very interesting. It makes sense. I mean, it's the same yeah. actor, so it's the same right. dude. Yeah, okay. I mean, he's seeing himself in a different form mm-hmm. with the hat and the whole thing and mm-hmm. the whip. But yeah, I mean, he's got the same kind of swagger, certainly. Mm-hmm. Adventurer. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's kind of a cool theory. That I like it. That is super cool. I yeah. love the Indiana Jones movies, And of too. course, you know, they're both George Lucas characters, so why not? That's right. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, thanks, guys, for joining me for the end of Jedi Palooza, the Star Wars <laughs> extravaganza that is Screen Facts. <laughs> Wars, man. Thanks for having us. And uh, looking forward to seeing The Force Awakens with yes. you guys. If I hopes. Yes, Maybe. I think it's going to be great. It's going to be so great. Fabulous. Hey, if you want to join the conversation, you can email, tweet, or check us out on Facebook. The email address, screenfacts at yahoo.com. Twitter, at Jason Davis Voice. The Facebook page, facebook.com slash screenfacts. That's still pretty new, so check it out. Leave your comments, questions, whatever you want to say. Let us know what you think of the podcast. We definitely would appreciate your feedback. And of course, we would also appreciate you spreading the word. Help us out by telling your friends and family how much you love Screen Facts with Jason Davis and everybody else who joins me on this thing. So uh, also thanks to our announcer, Kim from kimsvoice.com. Remember, it's kymsvoice.com. Thanks to you for listening. Check this out. Screen Facts with Jason Davis is a production of Jason Davis VoiceOver. Please visit jasondavisvoice.com if you need a voice for a commercial, narration, promo, internet video, e-learning or training program, and more. Click on the podcast page to purchase a t-shirt and support the show. Or get information about where you can download and listen to past episodes. Listen again next Wednesday for a new episode of Screen Facts with Jason Davis.